We would first like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Women in Wildlife podcast. You're joined by your co-hosts, Eliza and Maddie, so get ready to delve into all things women, wildlife, and gender equality in STEM. Welcome back, Women in Wildlifers. It's 2024, and this is our first episode for the year. Yeah, I'm not sure about that um, name, but yeah, we <laughs> workshopped it a little bit. We can workshop that. How are you <laughs> Starting the year off a little bit delirious, but um, we've made it through. how was your Christmas, New Year, everything, Mads? Oh, yeah, it was really good. Really busy, like with family and everything, which was so lovely. But uh, I always feel so exhausted by the end of Christmas and I just never feel like I have much of a break. So I spent most of Boxing Day um, and the next day after that just fully recovering. <laughs> but yeah, it was really nice to have that bit of time, which is good. How about you guys? Yeah, same. Like, I feel, oh, I feel like I'm turning into the Grinch a little bit, which I kind of hate because oh. I used to love Christmas. Like, I feel like I used to, like, get up at 3 a.m. But, yeah, I've, like, yeah, uh, gee, yeah literally, I was crazy. And, like, having divorced parents, my partner also has divorced parents. So I feel like Christmas Day oh, is double whammy. Yeah. Um, But pretty good. I still like Christmas, but it's definitely not got the same feel as before, which I can't believe I'm admitting on this podcast. Um, But, yeah, it was pretty good. I, yeah, had the week off between Christmas and New Year and went away camping. So, that was good but yeah straight back into it now you worked right through didn't you yes I did not too bad though we were pretty quiet so it wasn't too bad I can't complain but um yeah first year working full-time over Christmas so a bit rough (laughs) not gonna lie (laughs) normally would love to be uh by the lake during that time but you could do yes exactly but yes not for me I don't reckon <laughs> yeah definitely yeah, had, also I, not for me but <laughs> I feel like yeah for zookeeping it like everyone just has to work through but somehow I've gotten out of it continuously so I've been very lucky so, to always have that time off but very yeah, jealous the very podcast. <laughs> back into it now. but yeah back into the first episode of 2024 very exciting I feel like we've got so many exciting things coming up and so many good guests um on the lineup so I'm very excited for this year yeah absolutely and we've got a lot of cool things just in general for women and wildlife so um keen to announce quite a few things um coming up we've got a whole new team for our social media which we'll introduce in the next so exciting (laughs) so we've got nine or yeah eight or nine new team members so quite a big um increase from our little team of five which is really cool so cool i can't wait to meet them all eliza's been doing all the interviews and handling all that (laughs) she's been busy as so very excited it's been really cool um seeing like yeah such a wide reach of people in sort of different countries all throughout the world so it's been yeah yeah, really special having people well like yeah before this episode before we started recording eliza was showing me all of the countries that we've reached with this podcast and it's actually insane like i was gobsmacked we have i think there's like 36 downloads is that right in in uk or something like that yes yeah like three in south africa and like a few in peru and like all these crazy places and i was like i can't believe we're reaching that many locations and that many people it's just yeah incredible way more than i was expecting yeah no it's been really cool and just being able to chat to these women and sort of seeing the impact that our platform and even the podcast so far has had yeah 
yeah, which we wouldn't have been able to do without everyone listening today. So thank you very much to everyone. We also hope you had a very good New Year's and Christmas. <laughs> but yeah, so today we were lucky enough to chat with Roxy Rogan. Uh, Roxy is a producer and presenter at Australian Geographic and was previously the director of Wild Education. Yeah, we had an awesome chat with Roxy. It's really cool. Obviously, there's so many different pathways you can take in wildlife. And I think, yeah, we've touched on a little bit in the podcast, but I think, yeah, wildlife film and photography is just such an important tool for, um, yeah, promoting wildlife conservation to the general community. I think sometimes, especially, I don't know, my sort of space, like in science, um, I think we sometimes forget to communicate something like the importance of wildlife and conservation to, in a sort of palatable way um so I think yeah it's such an important space and really cool to actually find out how to get um jobs in that space and um the path that Roxy took and yeah incredible she had started a business at 19 which yeah Mads and I just insane (laughs) um so yeah sort of hearing her journey through that was really cool too yeah it was a really great chat and I feel like everyone's gonna get a whole lot out of it and I really just can't wait for everyone to listen so let's jump into it So today we're lucky enough to have Roxy Rogan on our podcast for the first episode of 2024. So welcome, Roxy. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. I'm really keen to be here. Yeah, no, we were just sort of saying before we started recording, like we've had you on the uh, featuring on our Instagram page at the very, very early days. So it's really, really cool to be able to pick your brain today. And um, yes, you, I was the you your podcast was the first one that I spoke on too. So it's all. Oh, there you go. So very good listen to anyone that hasn't listened yet go and have a listen (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's been awesome following your journey this yeah for quite a few years now and um haven't actually had a chance to catch up on your new role so I'm really really keen to um yeah find out a little bit more but just sort of winding back a little bit are you able to sort of tell us a little bit about your current role and your journey uh getting here just a little background Sure. Um, So I currently work for um, Australian Geographic as a multimedia producer. Um, So that's like a real kind of dream role that I landed only about six months ago. So that was very exciting. Um, And the journey to this role specifically was a bit random. I was actually interning for a film production company um, whilst I was working part-time as a videographer and basically um, they, the film production company works in natural history documentaries and I was recommended um, to Australian Geographic to get this job. So it's been a real dream job. Um, but my journey throughout my whole career has been kind of all over the place. <laughs> um, you know, started um, traveling and then, you know, founded my own business and then have since worked in various other places throughout um, the kind of conservation and film world. So it's um been a bit of a windy journey but I'm really happy as to where I am at the moment and keen to see where this kind of role takes me as well because I've just really started so I'm I'm keen to see um yeah where it goes yeah no, absolutely it's been so cool like watching you yeah sort of progress throughout your career and all the different avenues you've taken and to end up in yeah an amazing dream role like with Australian Geographics just so cool to see so incredible so cool yeah and I know yeah, I know that you've um, produced two two films. Is that right? So you've yes. got Persons of the Forest and Keepers of the Forest. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. You nailed it. <laughs> Perfect. Um. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about those films and how it was like producing them? What they're about for those that haven't given them a watch yet? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so Person of the Forest I made back in, wow, it feels like forever ago now. Um, I believe it was 2017 and that was in Borneo and um, that's all about orangutan conservation basically and the palm oil industry. So it was a very random way that I fell into doing this film. I basically had started to learn about orangutans and the palm oil industry about maybe a year before I did the film and with no prior filming experience, I decided I was going to make a film. Like, I don't know what came over me, but I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and so I went with a good friend of mine, Emily O'Connell, who was um, the cinematographer and the director of the film. And, you know, she taught me a lot about filmmaking as well whilst we were doing the film. And, um, yeah, it was a really incredible experience just to try and raise awareness basically about orangutans and... Um, about the palm oil industry and how that's affecting their habitat as well. Um, so I did that and to my surprise, it did pretty well. And I was able to, you know, have it screened in various film festivals. I went to New York City with the film, which was really cool. Um, and then from there, I made my second film, Keepers of the Forest, um, which is basically a continuation of the first film. Um, but this was in Sumatra. And again, exploring similar themes, but I really wanted to focus on the people who are really making a difference over in Indonesia for these orangutans. And um, that did well as well. So it was, it was just really cool to have these, you know, a few years where I was just exploring documentary filmmaking and really learning on the job. So a very unorthodox way of making a film. You know, most people go to film school <laughs> and then decide to make a film. Um, and I kind of did it the reverse way. But it's been it's been a great journey and it's something that I'm still very passionate about and hope that these films were able to raise awareness about this issue and um, get people talking about it because it's not just an issue that affects people in Indonesia. It's a real global issue and it's something that we in the West as well can do something to help with so yeah they were my so, films <laughs> so yeah awesome. what um what was the trigger that made you want to yeah do a documentary like a film did you like yeah. obviously there's so many other platforms you could have communicated yeah. that message like what well, yeah what, what why film why film honestly I thought okay so I'm not an author I'm not going to write a book about something what can I do that's really going to grab people's attention and I just thought a film grabs people's attention. It's visually engaging. It's telling a story. I think it's just a medium that I was really drawn to. And I just thought it's um, visually as well, when you see palm oil plantations and then you see the rainforest, it's so striking, the contrast between them, that it's something that's very hard to ignore and something that I thought would come across really well on film. But again, I had no experience and I just thought this is going to give it a go. <laughs> one way to learn, chuck yourself. Yeah, one way adventure. to learn. <laughs> and what was yeah. it like being in um, Borneo? And sorry, what was the other place? Sumatra. Sumatra. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. Very humid. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, something, it was, to be honest, it was challenging. They are beautiful, beautiful parts of the world but they are um, not without their challenge. So, you know, it's like 100% humidity. You're trekking all day to try and find the orangutans. You're up to like your knees in mud. Every insect that's on earth is trying to bite you at the same time. 
whilst you're trying to, you know, talk to the camera or film or do whatever you're supposed to be doing. Um, so it was a challenging experience, but it was beautiful. And I feel like I really learned a lot. I think I learned a lot more probably in the second film because I was there for a longer period of time. Um, I had been in Indonesia before. Um, so yeah, I, it was a lot to learn, but they're stunning places and seeing orangutans like wild orangutans up close is, it would have just been so surreal. So. It's crazy. They're so human-like as well. You see their hands and you're like, okay, <laughs> that's just a human hand. Like it's, it's a bit wild. <laughs> crazy. Oh gosh. And that's so cool that like, yeah, the first film was more about the animals and the industry and things. Mm. You're having the second one about the people and working in conservation. Mm-hmm. That's just awesome to be able to have them both. What did you learn about being a conservationist during this time and obviously being right in the heart of, yeah, I guess, human wildlife conflict? Mm. I definitely learned a lot. I learned that it's, well, specifically about, I'll just talk to the issue that I was looking at. It's a huge issue that um, is very complicated, like most conservation issues. Um, And I think what I learned is that it takes people from all different walks of life um, and doing all different kinds of things for this, to try and say, uh, solve the same issue to make it really work. So I did see people, you know, working towards the same goal, but through various different aspects. Um, And that it is really a team effort. In saying that, I did also learn that conservation is very political Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of red tape and there's a lot of bureaucracy. And that can really hinder progress a lot of the time towards the goal that kind of everyone's moving towards. Um, So that can make it quite frustrating working as a conservationist. Um, and trying to adapt to that, I think was an important skill that I learned. Um, I also learned, I guess that burnout is a real thing (laughs) and it's really important to know your limits and know what you're trying to achieve. And that, you know, my two little documentaries didn't solve any issue, but I had a choice whether I could make a positive or negative impact. what I was doing and you know I guess my goal was to always try and have a positive impact um regardless of how big or small that was going to be so a lot of lessons I feel like (laughs) and with um with your burnout how did Mm. you how did you come out of it because I have struggled with burnout before and it took me forever no not forever but a while to like come back and fully recover like how did you Yeah. yeah revitalize yourself from that I guess yeah well I'm no expert at it that's for sure (laughs) um I think just from my personal experience how I dealt with it was just making myself have better boundaries Mm -hmm. basically um I found that in this industry in particular you can give everything you have and they will still ask for more they being, you know, the bigger they, like anyone, the businesses, corporations, whoever they is, will ask for more and more and more and more. And it's a job that you can do for your whole life and it will probably never feel like you can do enough because there's such huge issues that you're trying to tackle or deal with. Um, So having firmer boundaries was, I think, what I was trying to do for future projects and future things to allow myself to say no to things, which can sometimes be hard. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but also just respecting your time as 
is valuable and you know knowing when to say yeah no to things and taking a break and trying to just switch off a little bit um it's much easier said than done I don't know if there is any actual one answer for anyone I think it's probably quite individual as to how you deal with burnout but for me I just had to almost distract myself in a way about something else because you know thinking about these really big conservation issues all the time can um be so tiring and can lead to that burnout as well so um thinking about something else or doing something different changing pace in your work day life worked for me I guess but yeah it's hard (laughs) Mike you hit the nail on the head. Like I think, especially in wildlife, there's obviously the physical burnout of working long hours, but yeah, that compassion fatigue and the emotional burnout, mm-hmm. of, um, especially when you're in, yeah, right in the heart of it in those, um, yeah, wildlife conflict areas like that, yeah, would be huge. So I definitely take my hat off to you. And I think just traveling for work a lot and yeah, in wildlife, you get to work remotely, which is awesome and um, in really cool places, but that I feel like that is quite isolating at times too. And uh, yeah, I think there's so many contributing factors to the burnout. So very wise words. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would know as well. I mean, I feel like you're always traveling, <laughs> always on the move and doing stuff. So. Yeah, exactly. so, definitely get a highlight reel, I guess, as well. And then, yeah, it's obviously there's totally. a lot. Of scenes, so. I think that's, well, um, I think that's something that's great about your guys' platform is that you're putting together, you know, this big community of all these different women who are in the same field so that, you don't feel so alone as well when you're kind of doing all these things. So hats off to you guys. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> sort of on like a similar vein, your um, organization that you're running, Wild Education, definitely yeah, was a close follower of that and it was awesome to see. And obviously you've had the shift now, um, stepping yeah. up from that and um, yeah, heading to National Geographic. So can you tell us a little bit about yeah your time running Wild Education and sort of your decision and stepping away from this role? Yeah, definitely. That was hard. So I had, I started wild when I was 19, just like baby. Wow. So like young, right? <laughs> That's so insane. I, think, I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, so I started when I was 19 and had it for uh, uh, almost six years. So it was a long time that I was, I was running the business. And in the end, why I stepped away from it was really because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, just financial reasons. And a lot of my work involved being in person and traveling and all this kind of things. Um, And I basically didn't have the resources or funding to move the business to be an online business within the timeframe I kind of needed. So I made the decision to step away from it. And yeah, it was, it was really hard decision. Um, But I think something that came out of it that was good was probably for my mental health because I had had the business for so long that I really intertwined my own self value to my business's success and value. And that got really intertwined. And I basically created this rat race for myself of trying to do bigger and better every single year with my business. And if I didn't, I felt like I was the failure, you know, or that it was a real personal thing for me. So being able to separate myself from the business, I think was probably a good thing in the end and being able to have, again, those boundaries of my life and then the business life was really good. Um, So yeah, transitioning into full-time work was also a bit challenging (laughs) because I had gotten so used to working for myself and having my own hours and, you know, that kind of thing. And then uh, working a nine to five was a shock 
It was definitely a shock. I was like, what? Can relate to that. (laughs) How do people do this all the time? How how is this? Yeah, it was was definitely strange. And I mean, I I can see myself being um, a business owner again in the future. I don't think it's completely off the cards for me, but for the last few years, working full-time has kind of been what I needed, I guess, in my life. Um, but it's a, it's a change. <laughs> it's definitely a change. Um, but I, you know, I'm really happy at where I am right now. So, um, yeah, that's, that's been good. Have you, um, found that you had to set more boundaries with, with yourself, like when it hits five, like you turn off work or like, did you struggle with working outside of your actual hours when you started this role? When I started full-time work? Yeah. I was, I think the one thing that I was getting better at with wild towards the end was I did almost treat it like a full-time job with my hours so I would be very like don't talk to me after five kind of thing yeah you know like (laughs) if you need me I'll see it in the morning kind of thing so I got I was kind of trying to implement that in the last like two years I would say a while before I transitioned over so that aspect I think I was okay with it was it was more the um, flexibility with what hours you do. I think mm, that was a yeah. shock for, um, you know, my things were always different projects all the time. So with some of the work I did, it was very just like one thing. Um, so that could be a little boring for me, I think. Um, but now in my job, it's always telling a new story and it's always doing something new. So I'm not bored yet. <laughs> so that's good. That's good. I feel like yeah. that's hard sometimes. Literally, yeah. yeah, I think like it's so hard because I feel like when you're working for yourself or studying or something and having that flexibility is so good. But then I feel like I find myself when I'm in that phase of life, like craving the full time and having, you know, just a bit more stability and yeah. um, I don't know, so the social aspect too. But then I feel like when I've worked full time, it's like, I just want the flexibility again. So it's really hard. Yeah. yeah. And you want them both. <laughs> you want them both. And I've, yeah, I've gone from the full flexible to, you know, especially with that flexibility, I found I needed to be disciplined with myself as well as to when I was going to actually be working and when I wasn't working um, because I just found that I was working like 24 hours a day and I was thinking about work like at 3 a.m. and I was doing work till 10 and I just had to try and set some boundaries because, again, this is when that kind of burnout comes in when you don't give yourself those kinds of boundaries. So I guess the perk of working full-time is the boundaries are set for you and it's just up for you to reinforce them to colleagues who might try and push them or whatever, that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, it's um, it's been a transition, but it's it's been good for now. <laughs> yeah, that discipline I feel like is just so important, but it's easier said than done. <laughs> like, totally. Oh, especially God, totally. when it's your baby, like your business and, you know, your yeah. Yeah, you would know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, so what kind of advice would you give young conservationists dealing with these career pivots that you've obviously experienced quite a lot in your 20s? Um, yeah, and the sort of need to change direction and knowing when to need to change that direction. Yeah, I would definitely say it's knowing when you need to change is just basically taking some self-reflection and allowing yourself time to be confused I would say don't make a rash decision about career pivots. I would say really think it through, 
you know, take the time to think about what your options are, all of that. Um, but in the same way, I would also say when you do need to make that career move, you just got to go for it. You have to take that leap and it's going to be scary and you might not want to, and it's like the unknown, but sometimes you just have to, you just got to go for it. Um, and, and I guess yeah, sometimes it come, some opportunities might come up and you might not have a lot of time exactly. to make decisions. So you have to kind of sometimes think on your feet and go with your gut as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. Sometimes those things literally just fall out of the sky and you have mm. to run with it or not. And I think if you can tune into that, you know, intuition or that gut feeling and trust that even if it sounds crazy that it's going to be the right thing to do to go with it, and that might mean you're wanting to start a business or that might mean you're going to go to full-time work, like whatever, which way it is, um, trusting your gut and knowing that you want to do something that you're passionate about. Like don't fall victim to just doing something because of money. I get that a lot of people and that's totally fine as well to do that. But for long-term, I guess you want to be doing something for what you love as well. So, yeah. Yeah. How was it starting a business at 19? Like, I just, that's just crazy to me. Like, how did you even, yeah, how did you even start? And what was your it was, process? <laughs> it was weird. I don't know if I had, like, so now being, what am I, 27, I look back on it and I was like, I would do so many things differently now. <laughs> but what I did, <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> like, what until? Um, but I guess then what had happened was I had done a year of environmental biology and I didn't like any of the career paths that were laid out for me. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Like I love the environment, but I want something different. And was and, that at uni that you studied or yeah. was that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was at uni. And so, I mean, it was a good course. Like it was a good course and everything, but I was just like this. It was one of those moments I was like, this Not isn't feeling right. I'm yeah. Different. Um, and so I spent probably like six months, like not telling anyone, but setting up what I wanted to do for a business, like YouTubing, how to build a business and like <laughs> writing a business plan and buying my business name. And I don't know, all this stuff that I was like, this is what you do. And I remember I went to my parents and I was like, I'm quitting uni and I'm starting a business. And they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and so it was it was really scary to be honest but I just went with it and I was like this is what I'm gonna do and it was uh in that year that I made the film so yeah no you real started a business and yeah. a film in the same year <laughs> yeah. <Actually>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean the film was I guess the film was through my business so I did it through my business and that was kind of the model I guess that I started with but um, yeah, you know, if I were to have another business, I would do so many things different, but I guess the perk of being 19 and starting a business for me personally was I was lucky enough to still be living at home. I didn't have to pay mm. rent. So financially I was, had a lot less risks involved of starting business than I would now. So, mm. um, you know, from that perspective, it was probably the right time for me to, be doing these crazy things that I was like, yeah, I'll just give it a go. It's so <laughs> if I fail, then it's okay. 
and to have like that courage and bravery to like back yourself especially at that age is just like awesome and as you said like trusting your gut yeah. but I think also having those like calculated risks like I think as you mm. said yeah you didn't have like heaps of overheads at that age and yeah there's sort of that element of there's not too much to lose and yeah to be able to back yourself and obviously that's gotten you to where you are today like I think yeah it's been pivotal yeah. you getting to where you are so nah it's awesome awesome to see it all unfold it's been really cool to follow oh thank you yeah it was um yeah definitely a crazy experience I think the other thing at that age I was really naive as to, to like everything right so I just was asking people for things and just wouldn't kind of back down until I got someone to say yes and that kind of worked in my favor so it was um yeah, a bit naive as well, but I, I guess it worked. But yeah. <laughs> so incredible. I just, yeah, I, just, I can't imagine myself starting a business at 19, but I guess being naive kind of probably played in your favour because you had the courage to ask people <laughs> and you didn't know how much was involved and potentially that helped you getting involved. Does that make sense? I yeah, it did. It did for sure. And um, I think it was that whole thing of I don't have really anything to lose. And also like a confidence, almost like a fake it till you make it thing. Like <laughs> I've had this confidence of this is what I'm going to do. And if you want to be involved, then cool. <laughs> this is how you can be involved. So um, yeah, crazy times. And I think like just going back to what you said about um, like when you did environmental biology and not a lot of the career paths sort of appealed to you. Like I yeah really relate to that as well. And I think like I hope that yeah women and wildlife do sort of show the different like such, such diverse pathways like I really struggled with that at uni too like I think a lot of it was sort of like environment environmental consulting like you know for large like mining organizations and things like that and it's yeah I feel like that's honestly probably half the reason I've kept studying is I feel like the careers that have been proposed and you know in undergrad and things aren't necessarily like representative of all of the opportunities in wildlife there, there's so much you can do and like yeah your career is obviously a testimony to that so yeah it's really cool to see yeah women in wildlife has been amazing I wish it was like up when I was <laughs> doing beauty you know because Me too. I know, yeah I know now that there's I feel like there's probably more degrees now around sustainability and environmental I'm not actually sure but I, I presume there probably is Whereas when I was at uni, it was like, that was the one degree I think in Sydney that I could do. Yeah. It was kind of related to the environment. So um, yeah, now I feel like more now there's so many more career paths and opportunities and ways to get into the conservation world. Um, yeah. Through different uni courses and a billion other ways. Like I obviously did it a very backwards way of <laughs> getting to where I got. Um, yeah. But yeah, the platform has been amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and for those that are listening that kind of want to head down the path that you've gone, like to mm. more um, like film producing, yeah. uh, presenting space. Yeah, what how what advice would you give to them wanting to get there? Or yeah, yeah. I don't know. What, what would you what advice would you give yourself at that time if you were getting <laughs> You knew you wanted uh, to get where you are now, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I would say if someone was really wanting to get into specifically natural history, wildlife, filmmaking, I wouldn't necessarily suggest the way that I've done it. Um, I mean, you can do it the way I did it. It's just, yeah, as I said, a bit kind of like backwards, I guess. Um, I've done courses through AFTERS, which is a film school, and they've been incredible, <laughs> so... Going to a film school is obviously going to give you the foundation that you need to understand 
about the film world and then you can almost like specialize in natural history or wildlife filmmaking um filmmaking and conservation are both really competitive industries so you combine them and they're like just super competitive <laughs> so it's definitely not a um easy industry i would say to get into but that doesn't mean that it's impossible um i would say that people wanting to get involved really take your time to find out what you're passionate about and what your niches or what kind of style you would want to be showing to the world and why what kind of stories do you want to tell like ask yourself lots and lots of questions as to why you want to actually be here um but yeah schools like afters in sydney are incredible to start off with um but you could also do it the other way where you do an environmental degree and then do a course in filmmaking as well um i feel like a lot of filmmakers these days though are self-taught mm. um the technology allows people to be more self-taught these days whilst it's complicated there are lots of filmmaking tools that you can use that aren't as complicated um so there's many different ways, but finding something that you're really passionate about, I think is just key for, for anything. And then just going with that and, and seeing, um, yeah, the different opportunities you can take to get you there. So, yeah. You know, I think that's amazing advice and yeah, hopefully I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who will be very grateful for all of that. Um, oh. <laughs> but yeah, I think just like the whole wildlife, like photography and film space is just so important in wildlife conservation. I think it is, can often be very undervalued in terms of the impact it has. Like, um, yeah, obviously everyone in our sort of immediate space, really in our workspace cares about the environment, but I think in terms of social media these days and things like it, yeah, it's just so, so important. I think, yeah, like it's just such a great space to get into. And um, we haven't really been able to talk to anyone like you or anyone who's mm. gone into this area and yeah definitely think it's just so important to talk about and um even though like yeah I think not that I've obviously looked into it heaps myself but obviously it is a quite competitive industry um but sort of being able to highlight that you can do it and kind of end up in those jobs that you have is just yeah awesome to chat about so thank you <laughs> yeah yeah it's um it's definitely a cool space and I I think specifically with conservation there's such complex issues right that researchers will do huge papers on and um you know all these things to try and communicate what the issue is of a certain species or habitat or whatever it is and I think the beauty of the filmmaking or photography aspect of that is that that can communicate what the issue is in a visual way so that everyday kind of people can see what is going on as well mm. and can make that emotional connection to something mm. um, to then help further make an impact with whatever it may be so um yeah I think like conservation it has so many different ways you can go down that filmmaking and photography part um can still be really impactful as well no absolutely and I think like a lot of my friends or anyone in sort of my circle that is not in the space at all that is how they get all their information for basically is through like yeah I guess social media but also film like I know there's that know my octopus teacher I don't know if you saw that but yeah I had a friend and um yeah she watched that and just like pretty much changed her whole perspective on the marine environment and the way she consumes I think it really honestly is like the most powerful tool in like educating the wider community I definitely do think yeah Uh, yeah I would I would agree I mean that's I think why I chose to do film um back when I started was I thought this is how I've learned a lot of things about the environment and that's a way that 
I've really connected with and I just hoped that that's something that I could then share for others that they could connect with and and learn about so yeah and even like really short films or even ads and how much of an impact they can make like I remember I watched I can't even remember what the ad was but it was of the little flying pig and it's like what is that ad does anyone know that and it's about like the meat industry or something and I watched this ad (laughs) when I was so young and I was like heartbroken and I went vegetarian for a week after that and then went back to eating meat and the ad came back on like two months later and I've been vegetarian like on and off but like since I think like two years after that I went full vegetarian and I just remember that ad so vividly in my head and I saw it come on the ad like tv a couple weeks ago and I was like wow this is bringing back so many memories but yeah even something so small like an ad can have such a big impact so Yeah. yeah Definitely. We're visual beings. We really gravitate to oh, that kind of stuff. And storytelling, like humans have been telling stories since forever. So it's mm. a, a great combo that can have a lot of impact and hopefully for the best. So, yeah. yeah. Well, before we wrap up, we've got one quick question that we want to yeah. ask, and it's just one last piece of advice that you could give to the audience and what would that be? Hmm. I would say... I don't know. I feel like I. I feel like I've said. Getting a lot of really good advice. We're <laughs> <laughs> just squeezing. I, yeah, <laughs> squeezing everything out. Yeah. Um, I would say to take your time and finding what your passion is. Don't feel like you need to be nineteen like I was and think you've got it all figured out. Mm. It's you know, for me, looking at my career, I see it as a lifelong career, and it's going to adapt and evolve. And it's okay not to have it all figured out and it's okay not to know your niche or know your exact career path and know that, um, yeah, throughout your life, you'll probably evolve and change and adapt of the things that you're passionate about. And that's okay. I would just say to take the pressure off yourself when looking into careers and, um, yeah, you will change, your career will change and just try and enjoy the journey. (laughs) Yeah. That's perfect. Happy. I really like that. Happy. I think I need to hear that as well. That was great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I it in my soul. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for coming on today, Roxy. We really enjoyed this episode and I definitely took a lot out of it. I'm sure all the um, guests will as well. So thank you so much for coming on today. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome to see you again. And yeah, we'll definitely uh, keep following your amazing um, yeah, career and everything through your social media. So really keen. Thank you. Thanks, Roxy. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, guys. We really hope that you enjoyed it. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you give us a follow on our Instagram or our Facebook page to keep up to date for when our latest episodes will be coming out. Bye for now.